0: After the seal, the seventh seal was broken and silence echoed through the heaven seven angels came in holding seven trumpets and the first four angels sounded their trumpets and the wrath of God was unleashed upon the world like never before and as bad as That experience of God's wrath will be, it is nothing compared to what is coming. The scripture says there are three woes to come. And the first woe we look at today, the fifth trumpet. And this last week I was reading about a story of a young family who had a little baby boy early last year. The boy was born at 23 weeks gestation. That's very premature. The baby weighed just around a pound. There were many procedures, therapies, doctors, all kinds of effort given to help this little boy fight for life. And his story is remarkable, and it's amazing to hear about how this little boy is defying the odds and fighting for life. Well, this little boy had a twin sister, and her fight ended at two weeks. And in this story, there are two pictures that I saw. One picture was the picture of this little boy's foot at a little over a year old. And then right next to that was the picture of his little sister's foot right about two weeks old. And their mom wrote, we miss her every day, every hour, every second. His foot and her foot right there together, her foot being a vision Of what his was. and his foot. A vision. Of what hers would have been. And then her last line is. He is our miracle. Now I tell you that story. And I read that story. And it tugs at my heart. I mean I I find such. Joy in a story like that about a little boy defying the odds in fighting for life and deep sorrow, the loss of his sister losing her battle. And there's something in each one of us that really resonates with this idea of fighting for life. That reality makes the fifth trumpet utterly shocking. So I want you to read with me in Revelation chapter 9. Here's how we're going to walk through this today. I'm just going to read a little bit of Revelation 9, 1 through 12 at a time. I'm going to pause as I read, give some explanation, because what's going to unfold here is absolutely crazy. And so in order for us to kind of soak it in and understand it as we go, that's how we're going to approach it today. So I'll just read a little bit, I'll pause, we'll do some explanation, we'll get right back into the text. So keep your Bible open, Revelation chapter 9. We're just going to work through this passage together. Starting in verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded the trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. In chapter 8... We observed a star falling from heaven to the earth. But in chapter 8, the description of that star was much like we would describe a meteorite falling to the earth. This is different. You're going to notice a personification of this star as we read this. So don't think about this star like you would have thought about chapter 8. This is different. A personification is going to happen here. We're going to hear about how this star actually plays a role in the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. All right, so let's keep reading. A star fell from heaven to the earth and a key, the key to the pit of the abyss or the shaft of the abyss was given to him and he opened the pit of the abyss And smoke came out from the pit, smoke like that of a great furnace. And the sun and the sky was darkened from the smoke from the pit. So a key is given to this star and the star then goes and opens the place called the abyss or the pit of the abyss or the shaft of the abyss or some of your texts would say the bottomless pit. And so this star goes and opens the bottomless pit. And the first thing that comes out of this abyss is dark smoke that, that covers and clouds the sun and the sky. It'd be like us having this huge bonfire of old tractor tires. You imagine what that would look like? It would just be this dark, terrible smoke. And that's what's coming out of the abyss. This, this terrible smoke that's darkening the sun and the sky. And notice what happens in verse 3, and from the smoke came locust to the earth. Okay, right there, I've got to pause for a second because we're fixing to get really strange. And then we're going to get a lot stranger. All right, so just hang on as we walk through this. And don't draw any any huge conclusions of what's happening. Let's let the text inform how we're to understand what's happening here. As things get a little mysterious and a little bit weird, just be reminded that Revelation is full of mystery. Some of which is made clear. Some of which remains mysterious. We're going to have a little bit of both in this passage today. This idea of the abyss is something that you will see through the Old and the New Testament and, and this star has the key to open the abyss. Now, the abyss is referenced seven times in Revelation, multiple times in other places in the Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, there is a reference about fallen angels who are kept in holding in pits of darkness until judgment. Then in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, there's a story about Jesus encountering a demon-possessed man. And that man has a ton load of demons possessing him. And he identifies, the demons identify as legion. A lot of demons. And they have a conversation with Jesus saying to Jesus, Please don't command us to go into the abyss. And then the last occurrence of the term abyss in the scriptures in Revelation chapter 20 In Revelation chapter 20, the abyss is referenced as the very place that will hold Satan for a thousand years. That's a time that's referred to in Revelation as what we call the millennial reign. So during the millennial reign, and we'll get there when we get into Revelation 20, but during that time, Satan will be held, and after that millennial reign, Satan and all his demons will be cast into what's called the lake of fire, which will be a permanent residence for the devil and and his demons. So what the abyss is, if we put all of Scripture's evidence together, the abyss appears to be this holding tank for a very large number of demons. And this star that falls from heaven to the earth, interestingly enough, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from the heavens. This star that falls to the earth has the key to the abyss to open the abyss, which is the holding tank of demons, and to release whatever's in the abyss. And what we first see is released is this black acrid smoke. And then with the smoke comes out these locusts. Now notice what is said about the locust. Continuing in verse 3, from the smoke comes locusts to the earth. And authority is given to them as the authority of the scorpions of the earth. And it is told to them that they are, not a, they are not to harm the grass or the green things or the trees. Only people who do not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. And they are forbidden to kill the people. But to torment them for five months. And the torment, their torment, their torture is like the torture or the torment of the sting of a scorpion when it stings a man. So these locusts come out with the smoke and they are not permitted. To do what we would think normal locusts would do. They're only permitted to attack people. The people who do not have the seal of the living gods. So we're not dealing with normal locusts that would go wipe out vegetation. We're dealing with some kind of demonic form that is focusing on attacking people. And the description that John gives as, is like a locust that has the power to sting like a scorpion. I remember a couple years ago, being dead asleep, peaceful dreams, only to be awoken by blood-curdling screams of a Linley. She is screaming as loud as you can imagine someone screaming. Talk about freaking me out. I'm busting out of bed. What in the world's going on? I'm looking for an intruder. I'm thinking, what is happening in our house? She's screaming. She's jumped out of bed. It's complete chaos. And she begins to say, I've been stung by a scorpion. I'm kind of like, what? (laughs) For real? Yes, I just got stung. And so we pull back the covers, and sure enough, there's a massive scorpion in the bed, and it has just stung Lindley, and she is not feeling good. Now, I try to be compassionate (laughs) and understanding. I think I stay awake for a couple minutes trying to communicate my feelings toward her. A couple weeks later, I had deep regret for not being more compassionate. (laughs) You know what happened. I got stung in the middle of the night by a scorpion in the bed. Let me just tell you, we had exterminators come out in force after I got stung. (laughs) You know, being empathetic requires understanding the pain. And uh, I tell you, that is a terrible experience. And the description here in Revelation is a description of such suffering that the pain of a scorpion's sting becoming your constant spiritual, emotional, mental, physical experience is the only way to describe the demonic attack that will fall upon the earth. And the result is near unimaginable. Look what happens. Verse 6. And in those days, people will seek death. And they will not find it. They will desire to die. And death flees from them. The suffering is so intense that every single person on the face of the earth that does not have the seal of the living God seeks, with everything they are, to die. It's a terrible day. Now, John's going to describe these locusts, and this is the section that's really mysterious. So let's walk through this description here. And they had the appearance or the form, the locust like horses prepared for battle. Upon their heads were crowns like gold. Their faces were the face of men. Their hair was the hair of women. Their teeth was the teeth of lions. Their breastplates were as breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was the sound of chariots with many horses rushing into battle. They had tails like scorpions and stings and in their tails they had the authority to harm people for five months. Now, When I read that, I think that is scary, ugly, and mind-blowing. And I wonder to myself, what's the significance of five months? So you think about the description of the locust. All we know here is this is what's come out of the abyss. And everything else in Scripture tells us that what's in the abyss is demonic, demons. This is John's description of some kind of demonic attack on the world, specifically focusing on those who do not have the seal of the living God. And this happens on the face of the earth so that everyone, not having the seal, wants to die. And they pursue death for five months and they cannot die. I don't know what the significance of five months is. There's nothing in Revelation that indicates that. I don't know what it, it's like to see a vision like this and to see demonic locusts come out of the abyss in the midst of dark smoke. I have no idea what to make of all this stuff. And what I am reminded when I read things that I can't simply understand is that there is a mystery and revelation that pushes me towards the things that are not as mysterious. The five months is to push me towards what is clear. The description of the locusts is to push me what's towards Towards what is clear. And there's something very clear in verse 11. Look at verse 11. They have a king over them. The angel of the abyss. Whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek is Apollyon. The names Abaddon and Apollyon are the names that mean destroyer. Both of those terms, the Hebrew term, which is what the Old Testament was written primarily in, and the Greek term, Apollyon, which is what the New Testament was written in, both of those terms are the names in the the two significant languages of Scripture for the same being, the destroyer. The king over the demonic horde that comes out of the abyss to which he was given a key to open is the destroyer, is Satan, and Satan has come and has opened the abyss at the sounding of the fifth trumpet, and from the abyss has come a horde of dem- demons that have attacked the world, specifically those who do not have the sealed living God written on them, and everyone on the face of the earth under this demonic attack wants to die, and they cannot die. These will be terrible and dark days. A day that should be avoided like the plague that it is. Now there's no doubt, Revelation 9 is telling us about a day that is coming. This day will come. And we who have believed in Jesus Christ and received the seal of the living God and the Spirit of God indwells us should be overwhelmed with gratitude to Jesus Christ that we will not experience this level of suffering. We're not going to be there to experience this level of suffering. People with the seal of living God don't receive this attack, we should be thankful. And certainly when we read Revelation chapter 9, we should want to help others avoid this level of suffering and wrath by trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and receiving the seal of the living God. No question. We ought to leave here today feeling unbelievably grateful that we have received the seal of the living God and God has spared us from His wrath that our sin is due. We ought to leave this place overwhelmed with such gratitude that we are motivated to go to the people around which we live and ask them, do you know Jesus Christ? Because there's a day coming you should want to avoid, and you can by trusting in Christ. But there's more in this passage the day in which we live and the circumstances of our everyday life, right here and right now, we need to see the revelation right here in chapter 9. When the abyss is opened, a number of demons, apparently very large, infiltrates the earth, so much so that every single person longs to die. Now that is completely against everything that we are. Every single person has a God-given desire to fight for life. We want to be alive. We want to stay alive. We want to have life. We want to have more life. There's something in all of us that longs for life. I love reading some of the biographies of individuals or groups that have fought for life in situations where death was knocking at the door every minute. Did you see the movie Um, Unbroken? It's a great story. If you've not read the book, it's better than the movie. They always are. You know, check that book out. There's another book called Endurance about Ernest Shackleton. And he had a ship that was trying to get to the Antarctic. And they were in the Antarctic Sea area. And ice came in and crushed their ship. The whole story is about how they survived. It is unbelievable. The tears in the darkness about the Bataan Death March. One of the largest defeats of military of the U.S. military in our history. And people were captured and they were forced to go on this long march. And they spent over three almost four years in torturous situations and fighting for life. Phenomenal stories. People love to read those stories. People love to hear those stories. Why? Because there's something in us that longs for life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, when talking about marriage, the Bible actually says the reason why... A man will want to love his wife is because a man wants to take care of his own life. And so he says, the scripture says, in the same way that a man wants to nurture his own life, he is to care for his life. No one ever heard of anyone not taking care of his life. There's this general statement in verse 29 that just affirms that it's in all of us to take care of our lives so that we stay alive. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God put eternity in our hearts. Do you know what's in each of our hearts even more than desire just to stay alive? It's the desire for eternal life. Every single person not only just wants to stay alive, we want more than life. That's how we've been made. That's how we've been created. But the moment the earth is overrun with demons, released from the abyss, every single person not having the seal of the living God, abandons the desire for life and finds it replaced with the desire to die. What we see in Revelation 9 gives us a really clear indication of something that's happening even today. Now, there's no doubt that the seal of the abyss remains closed. The key has not been given. It's not been opened. And this number of demons has not infiltrated the earth and deceived people into choosing death over life. So we're not dealing in the day yet where demons have overrun the earth, but it does not mean that there are not demons in Satan's activity right now. The scripture says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities of the air. There is a clear indication throughout scripture that there is a number of demo- demons and demonic activity and Satan schemes on the earth active right now. It's just that we are not in the position of having the opening of the abyss and this horde flooding the earth. But don't mistake the fact that it's not been opened to think that they are not spiritual battles happening around us every day the scheme of the enemy is not changed revelation chapter 9 is the clearest description in all of scripture about the scheme of the enemy now jesus talks about it in john chapter 10 he says the thief satan comes to kill destroy and steal Wants to destroy life, steal life. He said, but Jesus I've come to give life and life to the full. There's that indication. We have an enemy that's wanting to take life from us. And then in Revelation 9, we see this clear description of the agenda of the enemy unleashed on the world. As a form of God's wrath falling on the world. So here we live on this side of the fifth trumpet. And the enemy is scheming to cause us to choose death instead of life. But until that fifth trumpet sounds and the door of the abyss is open, the devil cannot convince the world wholesale to choose death in its most apparent form. And so the devil and his demons have a different way of scheming before the fifth trumpet sounds to encourage those who've been created to choose life to instead choose death. He just disguises death. So it looks a little bit more like life and a little bit less like death. That's why he's called the angel of light, masquerading, and disguising himself as life when in fact he is dealing out I want to give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. This is a sensitive subject. I want to be cautious when I deal with these subjects. I'm not bringing these up to unnecessarily offend. I'm bringing these examples up this morning because I believe it's part of my responsibility as a shepherd in this church to protect us. From the schemes of the enemy. So hang with me through this. Even though the nature of the examples are extremely sensitive. The first example is suicide. Did you know that over a million people every year in the United States alone. Attempt suicide. 43,000 die. Countless others contemplate the idea of ending life. I don't know what the number is for people who actually think about. It. Don't even get to the point of trying it, just contemplate it. And what is characteristic in those who become suicidal, in large part, is that they often come to the conclusion. That life and the world would be better off without them. They actually believe they'd be doing their loved ones and their friends, their family members a favor by removing themselves from the earth. They believe that everybody would be better off without them. The enemy uses Failure and the perception of failure, guilt and shame and brokenness and circumstances they believe that will never change uses things like that to convince individuals that the world really would be better off without them. There's nothing they can do that could make things better and it would be better for them, it would be better for everybody else if they just ended their life. And I just want to tell you this morning, those are lies. That is 100% deception of the enemy. Now please don't misunderstand me. Listen to this. Do not misunderstand me saying that a person who is a Christian is not capable of committing suicide. I am not saying when I say that this is 100% deception of the enemy that a Christian cannot get to the place where they take their own life. What I am saying is that a person who becomes suicidal is convinced of things that are lies, like the world will be better off without me. That is straight from the arsenal of the enemy. And if this morning you are contemplating suicide, You're contemplating ending your life. I want to tell you that life without you is not better for all of us. If you're feeling that way today in this place, I urge you to recognize the lies that are pushing you against what God created you to have. He created you to have life. And it's the enemy that wants you to die. Please don't believe the lies and seek out some help. Tell somebody, tell one of us. Let us know where you're at and do not buy into the lies. This became very personal this last week when I got a phone call midweek about a dear friend of mine. She's 99 years old. And she has told her family, I don't want to live anymore. Now there's nothing wrong with a 99 year old woman saying, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. But there's something very wrong with her saying, I want to end my life. Because the same Savior she's trusted for all these years in her life is the one who's determined the right days for her. And though she longs to be with him and there's everything good about that longing, she should want life because God is the one who gives life and takes life. Life And he ought to be the one that determines her days without her intervening purposefully to bring her life to an end. She never knows who might walk into her room to help take care of her who does not know Jesus Christ, does not have the sealed living God, and her love and care and testimony might bring them life, even the moment before she dies. I'm just praying for her she would reattach her heart to the longing for life that God gave her. Trusting. Lies. The second example is abortion. You know, a lot of times when individuals or families or couples decide to get abortion, it's because they, they are making that decision on the basis of Wanting to make a better circumstance for the life of the mom or the dad or maybe even better opportunities. Maybe it's reputation and mom and dad are pushing for the, the abortion. Maybe it's financial. Maybe the couple's not going to stay together and they think this isn't going to work if we have a baby. All of the reasons that people give and all the surveys of those who have had abortions all boil down to one thing. I'm going to choose death because I want a life that that life is going to prevent me from having. You see the deception in that? It's like this argument for life that convinces one for death. That's a scheme of the enemy. You know, one of the other approaches that that often is, is given is, if this child is born into this situation, that's not the life we'd want for that child. They're going to be unwanted. There's not going to be enough money to take care of. Mom and dad aren't together. This is not a good life for this child. People actually make decisions on the basis of what they think would be a good life for this child, and they take life because it wouldn't be good enough. Do you see the, the deception in that? Someone choosing death from irrational perspectives because the enemy has planted lies in our world that get people to move towards death when they know better, when they know life is preferred. Again, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. If if you know someone or you're here and abortion is part of your story or someone else's story you're close to, there is a place in the kingdom of God for you. God loves you and he's forgiven those sins when you call out to him just like he's forgiven my sins. My sins are no more offensive to God than yours. But here's the thing, when we make decisions like that, it's evidence of how the enemy is convincing our culture to choose death over life. We just call it by other names. The Enemy doesn't stop his scheming with the things that are really obvious. He he creates paths of slow death that every one of us are tempted towards. Sometimes we call it success. And we pursue success because we think success is going to give us everything we need or want. Sometimes we call it happiness. And we want to pursue happiness because we think happiness is where we get the life that we long for. And people do stuff like this. I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard this. I'm no longer happy being married to my husband or my wife. And I know that God wouldn't want me to feel this way. So I'm leaving my spouse, and I'm going to go find another one. Or they say, I've already found another one, and this one is going to make me happy, and I know that's what I need. We've chosen a pathway of slow death over the pathway of life, and we've called it all kinds of things. We call it pleasure. We pursue pleasure, filling our minds with pictures and experiences that are leading us right to death, but because we think in moments of pleasure, what we feel is what life's supposed to be like. We call it money, and we pursue money, and we give everything for it, and when we get it, we discover that it's certainly not able to deliver what it promised. We just buy into these slow pathways to death. Sometimes we can't even call it anything. We just end up being sucked into it. And then we end up living a life that's motivated by something like bitterness or vengeance. Someone has hurt us so deeply. And then we spend the rest of our life and years thinking of ways that we want to damage, hurt, or harm that person. Or celebrating the moments when life doesn't go well for them. And we believe that life is actually eluding us until we have payback on the one who hurt us. These are all lies. Every one of these things are lies. And what the enemy does, is disguise death so that, so that we choose these pathways. And then when we choose them, we choose them for so long, getting just enough return to keep us going into that pathway, not recognizing that what we've been doing with our lives is just serving a dressed up version of death. And it takes us right to the grave, deceived. We thought we were getting life and all we ended up with is death. The enemy is real. And he wants every one of us to be choosing death over life. And I praise God, the solution is right here, Revelation 9. It's right here. The angel of the abyss was given a key. Who gave the angel of the abyss the key? Who's responsible for this outpouring of wrath? The demons that come out of the abyss, they go to attack. And who can they attack? Only those who don't have the seal. They are prevented from attacking those who have the seal. Who prevented them? Those that they were able to attack, they were only enabled to cause Incredible torment that couldn't kill them. Who kept them from killing people? The people who were experiencing torment, they wanted to die. They were seeking out the grim reaper instead of the grim reaper looking for them. They were running and saying, I'm ready. Take my life. And they were prevented from dying. Who prevented them? Yes, yeah, certainly in Revelation chapter 9, there is a king, a a Abaddon. He's the king of the abyss, but he is not the king. He is not the one in control. You want to know who's in control of this whole scene unfolding? It's the one who's worthy to take the scroll out of the ha- hand of the one who sits on the throne. It's Jesus Christ, the one slain lamb. He is the king over all of this that's unfolding. He is the one that's in control. He is the more significant king. He is the better king. There's not a person in this room that should want to have as the king of your life, the destroyer. Everyone ought to want to have king of our life, the king of life. His name is Jesus Christ. And look what he does in Revelation 9. In the outpouring of His wrath that is necessary to come to bring about eternal life, He keeps open the door of hope, even if just a crack, for as long as possible. In this outpouring of God's wrath, He keeps open the door of hope by keeping the very people who are experiencing the wrath from killing themselves as they long to do because Jesus Christ knows their last chance is only found in life. Yes, the Lord's responsible for the wrath being poured on them. But he also is responsible for holding death from them. Giving them one more window to find his mercy. Do you know that's what he's doing with you? You're here today with the breath of life because God has held death from you. It's more than that. Do you know that there are things you experience in your life, like success, and money, and relationships, and some of those things are absolutely amazing? wonderful and God just enables you to have those experiences. But you know what God does in those experiences? He, when He pours out on you the things that you want and the things that you never would want, like sickness and hardship and suffering. When He pours out the things you might want, He pours out the things that you don't want. You know what He's doing in every one of those situations? He's showing you along the path that would, the enemy wants to lead you into death, that there is a way to life and He's opening doors of mercy all along your path using the fact that every bit of money that you have in your pocket has never given you life I'd rather have Jesus he's using the fact that no money in your pocket and your absolute need for him would drive you to him he's using all the things the enemy would use to bring you to death to show you there is life and he wants us to choose him you have a choice today the king who is the destroyer or the king who is life. And everything in your life is moving you one of two directions. Towards death or towards life. The difference is who you call king. And if you choose life, then you must offer life because we live in a world that is buying into the disguises of death and unless we tell them they will not know.